Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of Adventures in Angular. This week we have two special guests. I guess I should introduce myself. I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. We have two special guests. We have Steven Cooper and we have Mana. I didn't catch your last name, Mana. And you're not on my... Payroll. Mana Payroll. Yeah. Awesome. And yeah, do you both want to introduce yourselves real quick and let us know who you are and why you're famous? And then we'll... <laughs> Yeah, sure. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. Hello, everybody. My name is Mana. I work at AG Grid with Steven. I'm working on the charting library, which is great. Been here about a year, so enjoying that. I'll let Steven introduce himself now. Yeah, I'm, I'm Steven Cooper. I've been at AGRID also, yeah, I think we started on the same day. Yeah, we? we did. And I've been in and around the Angular, I guess, community, doing some talks and blog posts and, and sharing what I've learned, I guess, and doing my job and hoping that those kind of things help other people do theirs. Awesome. Well, we invited you on because we ran across your article, Stephen, about asynchronous testing. And yes. then if we have time, I'd love to, you know, dive into some of the charting stuff too, because that's, that's always a fun journey to go on, right? But let's start with the asynchronous testing. Stephen, do you want to kind of give us the 10,000 foot view, like what, yeah. what you're actually um, testing and how that works? Yeah. So I guess a lot of the times in Angular, when we're testing that the tests that you write are going to fall into two different kind of categories. You've got your synchronous mm -hmm. tests where, you know, you'll be testing component logic. And so it's all just synchronous code. You put your inputs in and you expect and assert that certain mm -hmm. outputs um, come out. But then there'll be other parts of your code where you've got a some asynchronous behavior. So for example, if you're testing AG Grid, um, you might have a situation where you're applying um, a filter to all the rows of your data um, and potentially your AG Grid library, it applies that filter asynchronously. And the case for this is that, you know, you'll, you'll set your filter and then if you immediately assert that the rows have been filtered and you know, you've got less rows being shown, your test won't work mm -hmm. because the test is running synchronously, right. but the code is running asynchronously. So by the time that you make your assertion, the asynchronous code hasn't run yet. And so you're left thinking, well, you know, I can see when I type this in, the rows get filtered. Why doesn't my test work? And that's right. where you have to then start thinking in, well, actually, this is asynchronous behavior and you have to go down the route of working in that manner. And, and Angular gives us tools um, for doing that. Oh, I thought you would just put like a wait five seconds and then make sure it's right. <laughs> 
right? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, your tests, your tests would uh, would be very slow if you did that, especially if you yeah. got more and more of these tests. And also, you know, sometimes you don't know: is it five seconds? Is it more than that? Is it less than that? Mm-hmm. Um, right. So there's there's cleaner approaches. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, waiting for times. I gathered as much. So, what is the approach? What What do you do then? Yeah, so there's a utility called Fake Async that you can use in your Angular test code, and this is a way of you, as it suggests, is providing a fake environment for your code to run in. And a, a key part to understanding this is that in JavaScript, there's an event loop, and so normally uh-huh. what will happen is your code, your synchronous code will all just execute. But then if you've got some asynchronous behavior, that will get put onto this event queue and it will run the next execution cycle. Mm-hmm. So things aren't running in a straight line anymore. Things get added to the back of this queue. And then once the queue, once the execution I guess, task has been executed, it takes the next one off the queue and executes that. Right. But in your test, you want to be able to control when that queue is emptied or, or not have to wait for an asynchronous behavior in right. real time, but in fake time. So fake async, if you wrap your test body, so that you know that's your it section when you're writing your test, you've got your describe and you've got your it and judgment. And so you wrap your it body in a fake async. And then that means that code there won't use the standard browser asynchronous behavior. It will run in this fake zone where asynchronous tasks get put into this fake queue. And uh-huh. then you have methods like flush or tick mm-hmm which then control when events are or tasks are taken off this queue. So, for example, if you say flush, it will then execute all the events that are on that queue in order. And if those events put more in the queue, it will try and execute those so until the queue is completely empty and drained. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas tick gives you more control about the timing of these things. So say your code had a set timeout in it of like 500 milliseconds. You could use this tick function and pass it the value 500 and it would move asynchronous time forward 500 milliseconds and then triggering that event. So with these tools, you can control when certain things happen and you can start asserting behavior between these, these steps. Right. Makes sense. So, so that, that mental model, I think is once you start using it, it's, you can pick it up and, and think this is how the test should work. Mm-hmm. But there's some added complexities in terms of the change detection cycle, which makes it not so straightforward um, as always to, I guess, implement this pattern. Um, and so that's where, I guess, this the article that I wrote is coming from. It's like breaking down step by step at what point different parts of the change detection cycle run and how you integrate those with Flush to empty the async queue. Um, so yeah, so there's, there's a, some gotchas as well, which took me a while to work out. Like you if you're setting up your component inside a before each statement, which is outside of your fake async test, mm-hmm. then that means any kind of events and asynchronous behavior with that component can get set up outside of your fake async zone. And so then you're left wondering, why mm-hmm. can't I control when these events are, are being fired? And that's because your component has been constructed outside of the fake, fake zone. So that was the first thing um, that I noticed, just moving that initial fixture dot detect changes out of the before each statement into the test itself meant that your component is constructed within the fake async zone so any timers or asynchronous behavior is correctly patched 
Gotcha. Um, yeah. And then it's, and then you've got fixes detect changes. When that's called, it applies values to your component inputs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then your, if your component is then responding to those, those inputs with asynchronous behavior, the, you then let that happen and you flush it. But then you'll notice that your template isn't actually updated with those values. So then that's where you need to do another fixture.detect changes to get Angular to run the change detection. And then you'll see the changes in your template. So in this article, I step through these different steps and, and have like three ways of validating the code. So there's the internal model, mm-hmm. um, which gets updated synchronously. So you can... Now when you say internal serve. model, that's essentially so that's, your data structure in memory, yeah. right? Yeah. So as soon as your inputs are applied to the component, you can see that code has executed. And if you query mm-hmm. the in-memory model, you can assert that the values have been updated through in our filtering right. example. You set the filter text to the input and you do fixture.detect changes. And that binds the input value to the component. Mm-hmm. And immediately after that, you can assert that the number of rows has changed. Right. But at that same point in time, say there's an asynchronous callback into your component, which updates the number of rows that are visible, that hasn't changed yet. And if you're displaying the number of filtered rows on, that still hasn't updated yet. So you've got this difference in when, when these mm-hmm. changes happen. So then you'd, you'd, you'd flush the changes. And then, then at that point, your internal model, and also then the component, which has been updated asynchronously, those two values match. But still, the value that is displayed in your template is on the old one. Right. And then it's not until you do fixture.detect changes again that the template finally gets mm-hmm. updated. So it's now it sounds super complicated. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and I think this was, this was something, you know, our, our users were struggling with testing AG Grid because of this asynchronous behavior. So yeah, it took me a day or so just looking at our, our grid and understanding, well, actually, this is how all these different bits fit together. And um, so, yes, yeah, so I've added an example of how you would test this and, and given it step-by-step instructions in this, in this blog post. But then once you understand that, you can't, there are shortcuts you can start taking. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a fixture job, fixture dot auto detect changes, mm-hmm. which means that as soon as, um, you know, you set the input value that automatically gets updated. So you're not having to call fixture dot detect changes at specific points. Yeah. At specific points throughout your test. Um, so that shortens the, the test, but I think. It's good to understand at what point Angular is doing things to, you know, right. passing values into templates when a component might actually run and update the internal code model. Mm-hmm. And then also then having to update the template again for those changes to be reflected in the rendered output. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, it's not a surprise that this is, it's a tricky, <laughs> a tricky um, thing to test when you, you start getting this asynchronous behavior. Right. So. I mean, one of the things that I'm just thinking through is, yeah, you know, it helps you to kind of understand the life cycle of your Angular app and uh, the way that people interact with it and then the way that, yeah, things are managed through the framework. But I'm a little curious, does this work on things that are not Angular? So let's say I pull in something else or I, I'm going to hurt people's feelings, but let's say I'm using jQuery or something, right? And I'm not going to be doing, I'm not going to be telling the framework to detect changes there necessarily because I may be working with other inputs or other details there. But does this same asynchronous queuing 
I don't know what to call it, but yeah, the yes, queuing so system that it takes sync. over. Does that, yeah, does that work for other things or is it just Angular? It should work for other things because it's it's based off zone JS. So okay. the, the fake async logic will be patching mm-hmm. those low level, um, I guess, things like set timeout and, right. and those calls. It so hijacks I would, those. Yeah. So I would expect it still to work. Okay. There's, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming these things. I haven't actually done this. Right. Um, but then I guess the thing is like our AG grid code, there's, it's got an Angular wrapper, but internally mm-hmm. it's all, I guess, vanilla or well, TypeScript mm-hmm. and JavaScript. Yeah. So it, in one sense, testing AG grid, it, you know, the code that actually does the asynchronous part is, it's not written in Angular. It's just TypeScript. So in one sense that, you know, that, that does work. Yeah. That makes sense. So then the other question I have is, Am I just basically testing my evented code and my components then? So anything that gets triggered, because some of this is going to be life or life cycle stuff that happens as I detect an event, handle an event. But some of this stuff I could see is just, no, I guess most of the reactivity you're, you're actually pretty explicit about. So you're effectively then just saying, okay, you know, yeah, run all the changes, run all of the event hooks and everything else to make sure that everything, you know, comes out the way that it's supposed to. Yes, I, I think... You know, that's thing. like in your application, you, you want to test your own code. Right. Um, so, so I guess this is where if your, if your application is then doing things based on or saying, I've got this many filtered rows, you want mm-hmm. to test that, you know, that integration works. The fact that the grid is, is filtering, you know, that's not quite so much your responsibility. Right. AG you know, grid should be testing that. that. Yeah. Grid. Yeah. Um, but if you're, if you've hooked into these output events to then update your component, then you want to make sure that you have correctly implemented those those hooks. So I guess it you know is it's making sure you're testing the right thing and and at the appropriate level. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not you shouldn't be having to validate AG Grid itself. You know that's hard. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. But then as, yeah. I guess there's a there's another approach as well. And okay. So sometimes fake async can run into problems where it's impossible to write a test with it. So I think if you look at the flush function and the way that works is that if you end up having a some code which for example has a set timeout in it which then triggers another set timeout mm-hmm. you can't test that code with fake async because every time it takes that event or that task off the, the event queue and executes it it adds another task back to the queue right and flush is trying to to clear that oh so, so you're going to get an infinite loop you get an infinite loop and but so angular does t- detect this and it will give you an error saying i tried to run 20 times i think is the default but i haven't been able to clear the queue so sometimes you might be in a situation where increasing that number helps you out so you might do flush 100 mm-hmm. um, for example like but i think it's it's rare i think if you're hitting 20 there's probably not many cases where that's not going to just keep going to infinity right but then it's you know, you're not completely stuck at that point. There, there are other options. And one of these things is using the, the inbuilt async await syntax. Oh, okay. that doesn't suffer. That doesn't suffer from the same, same problem. Um, because you can write your test in, in a way where you'll set up your component with fixture dot detect changes. And at this point, your code is running in the standard browser environment, but there's, you can do await fixture dot when stable. So Angular has provided us these, I guess I think it's like a promise where you can Mm -hmm. await it and Angular will then resolve that promise when it knows that it's the component is Mm -hmm. is in a stable 
state, and then you can carry on with your test. So, so using that approach, you're not having to worry about flushing the queue yourself. You just have to know when is the right time to to wait for the component to be stable, mm-hmm. and then make your assertion, and then call fixture dot detect changes to either then apply inputs or update the the template. So you know that approach can actually be result in a simpler test because you're not you're not having to explicitly think about where the async test asynchronous behavior is you just wait for right. the component to be stable and then make your assertions that makes sense i'm curious uh, mana do you wind up playing some of these same games with your charts or is that a completely <laughs> different deal we have tests in charts but i don't think it's this complicated i guess <laughs> okay yeah we don't really have too much asynchronous code in the charting library it's quite small yeah it's very early stages okay i was just curious if you do async stuff and have to test it so no i do remember having to do that in angular when i was using angular (laughs) and though i remember both approaches that you mentioned as well the fake async and also the async await and at the time i remember just like doing trial and error just seeing where can i put what for it to pass (laughs) (laughs) because there's so many functions that you can you can use so flash flash yeah (laughs) fixture.detect changes after every single line yeah Yeah. (laughs) but it's good to understand obviously it there is a reason it works the way it works because of the life cycle so yep very cool Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and, in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships, and how to build their careers and max out and and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. So, you know, before we move on to another topic, I just wanted to make sure that we've covered this. So are there any other tricks of the trade that you have that you've put into practice then Stephen? So I think the the main thing to take away is that there is it's not all completely magical and and random and and you know just throwing in another flush will will fix things. And I think the the main thing to try and understand is the mental model of of when things happen. So when you call fixer dot detect changes, is that applying values to component inputs? Mm-hmm. Or has you know the component code model been updated, but my test isn't working because the the template and the rendered output hasn't been updated yet. Um, so I think it's when you understand this this pattern of what's being updated when you call fixture dot detect changes, it really then helps you, I guess, visualize the test execution, and then gives you, I guess, more something more to reason about about why you would put the the flush in or or the mm. tick in, um, right? Because I think sometimes it can just feel like a bit of a, a magical, <laughs> a magical art. Yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, so I think it's it's worth, and that's why I've, I've written this this article and, and laid it out step by step because it's it's the kind of article I wish I was able to read before I jumped into asynchronous testing. 
right? Because it is it's not it's not simple. But I think the main part is understanding the, what's going on in the component lifecycle and in the change detection hooks. I think once you've got that understanding, a lot of these tests become fairly straightforward to, to write. And it's just switching the mental model from synchronous testing. That makes sense. I'm also curious because I, I talk to people and a lot of times if the testing is hard or tricky or if it takes a long time as the other one, they basically just deem it as not worth it, right? But to me, the value of the tests is the sanity check, right? I don't have to go back and double check if something works because I can just run my tests and it'll tell me. And then occasionally it'll actually catch stuff, right? Hey, you broke this. Do, do you find that this actually saves you a bunch of time and effort in, in those kinds of instances where it either catches something that you've done or you know saves you the effort of thinking about, okay, now did I mess anything up with this thing that I just added? Yeah, and I, I think the main benefit that comes from it is the shorter feedback cycle because mm-hmm. you can run these tests really quite quickly and you can right. immediately see, oh, this change over here, which I didn't think would impact this component, has actually broken something. And while you're in that, I guess, code location and in that mindset, you can go and make that change and, and fix it straight away. Whereas, say, it goes down the line, you know, you didn't notice this because you just thought it was unrelated and then it gets to, you know, the quality assurance or, or a tester is looking at this and saying, well, this is broken. By that point, you know, mm-hmm. that might be a different day, a different week, and you mm-hmm. have to then get back into the mindset and take all that code back into your mind and understand it again to be able to fix it. Whereas if you have got these tests in place, not only are you confident in your changes, but if you have broken something, you're there and in, you know it's it's all in your in your mind. So you'll be much quicker and probably you'll make a better fix as opposed to being told, you know, later down the line that oh this is broken. Yep. Um, so you're going to even if you're you slow down your immediate velocity of getting the feature out it should mean that the feedback cycle of, well, this is broken and coming back should be quicker. So your overall throughput should should go up, even if you're slightly slower when you're making the feature. Yeah. Yep. Saves time in the long run, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Not that I've ever written a bug, but, you know, I've, I've experienced some of the same things that you're talking about. So, yeah, it, it, that, that makes sense to me. It makes total sense to me. But it's always so tempting just to say, it looks like it works. Yeah. Let me get on to my next feature. Yeah, well, a lot of the times it, it seems like it works, and then you run the tests, and so many things broken. <laughs> what? Yeah, I changed one little thing, and everything's broken now. It's well, in the happy path for whatever it was that you were working on, yeah, that worked fine, right? And that's what you ran through. You didn't try the other stuff that depends on some of the same things that are the things that changed. What's funny to me is that I actually worked with some folks that would change code and commit it. And then I'd merge and I'd run the app and it'd be broken. And so I'd go in and I'd say, hey, you broke this. It's it's a problem. And it turned out that they just wrote the code and committed it. They didn't even try it. <laughs> and so, That's very confident. <laughs> yeah, right? So, so yeah. So, I mean, it, it makes sense. You know, you get that feedback loop. And, yeah, a faster feedback loop means that most people will be willing to at least see what it says, right? And, and that makes sense. Yeah, and I so, think that's, there's tools out there as well to help us write Angular tests. Mm-hmm. Um, I know like Shai has got some great packages, like his Observer Spy is a great package, which I've used, and Spectator as well is another another tool. So yeah. there's, there's lots of tools out there, as well as you know, Cypress, if you're doing your end-to-end testing, which help you, I guess, write your tests and simplify things for you. Mm-hmm. So 
I think sometimes, you know, we might think that testing is really quite complicated and, and difficult, but I think, you know, some very smart people have already made tools to, I guess, just help you write your tests so that you're focusing on the actual test logic as opposed to the intricacies of, of how Angular, I guess, testing works. So I would, I would encourage people to use those tools as well. I think my favorite thing that you've added is the, is the Cypress snapshot test. Like they've saved my life because <laughs> I'm working on a data visualization library. So it's just, yeah, it's added a lot of value and it's, it's good for speeding things up, realizing things are broken really quickly. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's kind of the, goes on to the point of testing at the right level because mm-hmm. you might not need to test at the component level. You know, if the, you might want to actually just test that, you know, what is your user going to interact with? So if you're, if you are limited in times of time and maybe you're, I guess how much you can put into testing, mm. if you get the test at the right level, it's also going to be much more robust. So for example, if you are just testing for your charts and you can test the final snapshot and make that, yeah. make sure those are, I guess, pixel perfect. Yeah. You can be much more confident in doing lower level refactors and not then having to update lots and lots of little small tests mm-hmm. um, but you've got confidence that the end project that the user is actually going to interact with that is still still working yeah. so i think that's an important thing to do make sure you are testing at the right level yeah my experience with that especially with some of the visual checks is you usually have like you said a snapshot and it'll take the snapshot and you validate that snapshot and then what you're validating from there in the automation is it's the same, right? It looks the same. So if I put the same data in, it looks the same as it did before. And so, yeah, then I can compare the images and make sure that they're close enough, right? Because sometimes even pixel perfect renderings, they're they're off by just a little bit, but anymore it can detect, hey, this is basically the same as the other one. And then it can work from there. Yeah, you can adjust the threshold, can't you? Yeah. It's to do with detecting the regressions, I guess. Like if you're making a change and it seems like that's working in that area, then you want to make sure that what was there before is rendering exactly the same. Yeah. So I mean, I've doing. never written a regression, but if that's what you've done. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. I don't know. I'm just, yeah, right. that's what I heard. <laughs> that's, yeah. Yeah. Just rumor out there. Good deal. So I've always wondered, you know, what, what it takes to write visualization graphic or, you know, graphing library. I mean, I tend to just pick one up off the, you know, off the shelf here or there, you know, and it's it's almost always the one that somebody else put in. It's like, okay, I'll figure out how to use this. But what's it like building one? I'm 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 really curious. <laughs> it's so different to what I thought it was going to be like because before I joining AG Grid, obviously, I've ne- I'd never built charts from scratch. <laughs> There's always a library out there that you can use. Right. But I do find that almost every day working on it. It's like I'm doing some sort of tech interview because it'll be some complicated algorithm or get my A-level math book out because there's going to be some next level matrices or something ridiculous <laughs> that needs resolving. So um, it's never a boring day, put it that way. Yeah. Okay. I, I want to get this just out there. I'm going to play this back for my 16-year-old about 80 times. So you actually use math in your programming. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I actually use math. I never thought I'd say that. Yeah. Real math, like multiplication and stuff and addition. <laughs> no, there's... I'm, I'm just making sure because he tells me he's never going <laughs> to use it again in his life. And I just, you know. 
uh, yeah, I'd forgotten all about different chart types, for example, like Cartesian and polar and all these words before I joined AG Grid, where I realized, oh, they're, they're actually things that matter and people use. Um, right. So I had to relearn about radians and all these other things that I would, I thought I'd, I'd never have to think about again, trigonometry, et cetera. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's a good job. I, I did some math in school. Makes sense. So then as far as, so, I mean, I can understand like pulling the numbers in, you know, maybe doing some math on the numbers, but how, how do you translate that into something that I can visually see? Like what's involved in that process? So we're, we're using the HTML canvas element and mm-hmm. the canvas API. And for our particular charting library, the way it's been designed currently is that we have an options interface, so all the configurable parts of the chart, all those options can be provided and they go through our factory. In our factory, we basically merge those options with some defaults and then we map those options, inject them into the chart implementation or model that we have. And then that is the output of that is what gets rendered onto a, onto a scene graph that we have which basically uses the Canvas API to render on the graphics onto the screen. But that's after we've done the processing with the data and figured out like the coordinates and everything like that. So there's a few steps <laughs> in between that happens as well. The main thing I would say is the interesting part for me is the, the scene graph that we have. The scene graph is like a tree structure and it's, it's similar to the DOM. It has nodes, but they're all phantom nodes. They're not real nodes it's just a way for us to describe and lay out what the chart is actually going to look like it has different components so like let's say a chart has axes it has a legend a title the actual series and and those nodes so they all kind of get organized and structured in the scene graph and at the root of the scene graph is where we have our well that's where the magic starts because we have the render method in there and that kind of recurses through traverses the graph top down and just goes to all the nodes and invokes render on those and those render methods do their own thing for each part of the chart to render the correct path onto the canvas ultimately so that's kind of like an overview of how it works if that makes any sense Mm -hmm. so you said that you're still uh building the charting library how many people are working on it and when do you think it'll be out so at the moment, there's two of us working on it, but it is out. It's usable. It's it's available to use for free. It's on GitHub, and you can anyone can install it and use it. What's it called? It's called AG Charts. <laughs> oh wow! Did I not say what it's called? <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, <laughs> it's called AG Charts. So we have AG Grid and we have AG Charts. AG Charts, yes, it's amazing. Like we don't have all the different chart types obviously yet because it's 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 still we're still adding things hopefully more and more features as the days progress i think you're underselling it there yeah (laughs) but we have a lot of things like i think it's amazing i'm I'm just look at it sometimes and i just get a bit emotional because i think wow this is great i can't believe can't believe we did this or we are doing this (laughs) i know right you're so talented (laughs) thank you (laughs) but there's obviously the groundwork needs because we want it. We want to set ourselves up to succeed in the future. And that means it needs to be, there's so many different elements that we need to think about. There's different factors and it is a library. So we need to take things into consideration that we wouldn't 
normally if it was just like a web development or something project. So it, one of the most important things is obviously accuracy and detail, but then it also needs to be performant. Mm-hmm. So performance is a major major thing for visualizations because people are looking and they just they're a bit impatient like they want to see things quickly and they want things to update quickly especially with you know things like animations or videos and like things that you can basically like see on the screen so they need it to be fast and that makes sense so we had a few users who came to us with well some advanced use cases for large data sets so they were experiencing some minor performance issues with the very very large data sets um so in the last few releases we've just been trying to analyze and address those that's why we did some profiling we found in our chrome profiling runs that there is a limitation with the canvas rendering performance so just analyzing that further we actually found that maybe around 75 percent of our execution time gets spent in the ca- actual canvas render calls um, compared to the oh, 25% that we, that we spend doing the processing and that processing by that processing. I mean, you know, when the options come into our factory and we do all the magic and process the data and figure out what, how, and where we actually need to render to the canvas. That's just taking up 25% of the execution time. The rest mm-hmm. of it is just canvas rendering. So that was really eye opening for us. And that's kind of the direction we decided to take when we wanted to implement some improvements. So how do we how do we reduce the amount of times that we invoke those canvas API methods to render? With large data sets, because of so many data points, there's so many, let's say it's a scatter chart. So I've got like a hundred thousand points on there. There's going to be a hundred thousand paths, independent points that need to be rendered, which means a lot of calls to Canvas. It's it's understandable that it would take a long time. And a major thing was one of the most common interactions people have with charts is trying to hover the chart and highlight a specific data point. So that's an update. And then it's like, we have to now re-render everything to update what's happened on the chart. Right. Um, So it can get slower and slower, especially with big, very large data sets it's not it's not a problem at all when it's uh when it's smaller data sets it's quite an advanced use case quite rare as well but we've managed to make some really good improvements i think now it's it's around 50 50 in terms of the time taken up between the canvas render and our processing so it's, it's much improved wow stuff you don't think about <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah yeah i'm just getting into some of the charting and stuff with the podcasts so I've moved everything over to a custom system, but that means that I have to build all the things, including a, a graph of, you know, our traffic. So mm-hmm. that's been interesting to kind of pull together and make work. And yeah, I'm not using AG yeah. chart. I'm using something else, but it's it's <laughs> been interesting to just kind of see, okay, you know, what can I do with this and where are the limitations? Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this isn't something that many people have noticed because it's not like, it's not like everyone has like 1 million data points that they want to show on a chart so it's it's quite it's quite rare i think our our library is actually great it's doing very well the things that we've had to implement to improve the performance has been very minimal it fits in very well with our current design because we have the scene graph we have the the groups already there groups of nodes that are related to each other so very easily we could just introduce concepts like layering composite rendering so 
the groups would be associated with layers, which means that along with change detection, which would percolate up the tree and only be associated with its own layer or group, we can then only render specific layers. So that's already very easily reduced the time we spend rendering. Mm -hmm. And another thing I think we did was adding the off-screen canvas. So for each layer, we'll be creating an off-screen canvas. And then what we do is we use canvas's bitmap imaging to create the image source so that if that layer hasn't changed in the next render, we just use the previous image, oh, uh, and which is which is really quick to, to render. So, I mean, there is a cost to creating the, the image, but it's kind of overall improved the performance very easily. The, the really interesting one for me was the idea that when you're doing highlighting, so you want to highlight something on the screen and you have like thousands of data points, instead of updating everything and like 99% of it looks the same and just one bit of it's changed, what we do is we use the layers now. So we've created a highlight layer, which only contains one node and that's what gets updated and moved around. But because the Z index for that layer is higher, it gets rendered on top. So it kind of creates the illusion that it's that data point that you've hovered that's updated, but actually it's just the highlighted layer that's appearing in the correct location. So it's just little things like that, tricks like that, that that have really improved the performance. Um, so it's, it's been, it's been very, um, interesting. Like just, just that would improve complexity from ON complexity to O1 complexity, which is a massive Mm -hmm. improvement. Yeah. And there's, there's, there's also, there's still so much more that we could do, um, to get it even better in the future. Maybe we can have progressive rendering where we render a bit, a bit at a time. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, the possibilities are endless. And it's, it's worth um, adding that there's an Angular implementation or an right. Angular wrapper for AG charts as well, just like with our grid, where mm-hmm. you know, the grid is written in TypeScript, but we have yeah. Angular, React, View, um, support. It's the same for our for our AG charts. So there's the core charting library, but then we also provide you with an Angular uh, component. I think it's AG chart Angular. I think it's yeah, something like that. <laughs> So, so you can interact with it just like it's an Angular component and you've got an Angular Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And Angular can do its thing. We can do our thing. We'll, we'll render the chart for you in your Angular app. Yeah. Most people will be using it in a framework, I guess. It won't be. Mm-hmm. It won't uh, be like in, maybe. In, a, in a vanilla. Yeah. That's really cool. So anything else that you all want to bring up and let people know about before we do our picks and wrap up? Anything from you, Stephen? <laughs> I think, I guess one of the things I want to address is, you know, Angular 14 and, mm-hmm. and well, I guess even just Ivy. So like in our latest release version 28, we're now producing a fully Ivy um, compatible version. So I know that's, you know, making sure that we're staying up to date with, with where Angular is going and, and means there's no more, was it NGCC going on in our Angular, I guess, node modules, which, that means people can start using PMPM or they can start using the new Yarn um, lock and play because the node modules are no longer getting mutated by the, the compatibility compiler. So yes, yeah, so we're moving things forward in, in, in that respect, but we've created legacy packages. If you are stuck less than on Angular less than version 12, we've we've got a package for you. You know, the, you just append the word legacy to the, the package that you're using and that's still published in, in view engine format. Um, but we are, we're really hoping that people will be on at least Angular 12, um, mm-hmm. because then that 
unlocks us uh, going forwards to start adding in even more uh, new features, especially with newer versions of TypeScript. Um, for example, yeah, we've just added generic support as well in version 28, which I think is a underused feature, especially in Angular components. So I think I did, I mean, it took me a long time to realize that you, you can set up generics on Angular components and have them apply to your inputs and outputs. And say you provide row data and say, this is mine. I've got a list of cars. Give that to your component. And then if you set your component up to use generic properties for your inputs and outputs, then the Angular compiler can validate that what you've passed in and also then what you're expecting out will will match up. So I think there's, there's, there's a lot of great features in Angular that we're pushing forward with and I think it's good for people to, to be aware of. Yeah, cool. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do picks. Steven, do you want to start us off with picks? Yeah. So I think my pick for today was I was actually uh, I managed to have lunch in the Google offices here in London. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. So I've seen how how the other side uh, work. <laughs> 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 uh, we got you know very fancy offices. Uh, you know, I had I met up with a friend who you know, I went to university with. He invited me in as his, his guest and uh, took me for you know their lunch. I didn't. Oh, he joked that really nice. he, he joked that Google. They when somebody joins Google, there's like a ten pound thing where they they put on ten pounds. Oh, okay. <laughs> all this. Uh, it's all the free food. Free, food, free coffee. That's the problem with free food. So yes, yeah, so they showed me around, and it was like, yeah, this is this is this is very nice. But yeah, man, I guess. yeah, I remember Alan saying like they had like a fridge and every drink you can think of, you could just take whatever you want at any point. I thought, wow. Yeah, so it was it was nice to see see how Google well offices are at least. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that's one pick. That's cool. Awesome. Uh, I'm gonna throw out some picks, and then we'll let uh, Mana go. So I usually pick a game as one of my picks board game or a card game the game i'm going to pick today is called antidote and effectively what you do is you pull they have like eight cards with an x on them and they're basically poisons and you so you pull one off to the side and that's the one you're trying to find the antidote for and then um, you deal out the rest of the the poisons along with uh syringes so everybody has two cards and those cards could be syringes or poisons and then you deal out the rest of the cards, which are all the antidotes for all the different poisons. And then effectively what you do is each person takes a turn and you can say, pass a card to the left or pass a card to the right. Or you could say, everybody discard a card. And eventually enough people will have you discard cards to where you're down to one card. And then if your card is the mm-hmm. correct antidote, then you survive. And if it's the highest number, because there are five cards of each color, or each antidote. If you have the highest number, then you win uh, of the antidotes out there. So it's a fun game. It takes That's about cool. a half hour to play. I usually throw out the board game Geek Weight. This one's 1.62, so it's not terribly complicated. I mean, I explained the whole game to you in two minutes. So it's fun. It's a lot of fun. It's You can play between two and seven people. It's more fun with more people in it because, you know, you're you're keeping track of more things and trying to figure out more stuff and there, there's there's more variability in the game. So anyway, I'm going to pick uh, Antidote. And then I'm also just going to let folks know 
that we basically have all the infrastructure together for our online conferences. And we're going to be opening up the CFP for those. The first one's the Rails one. I don't know how many people listen to this are going to be super interested in that. That's in September. Uh, the JavaScript one is in October. And then the Angular one is in November. So if you're if you want to speak at an Angular online conference, you don't have to travel. You don't have to uh, you sleep in your own bed. That's always a big deal for me. It's like it's like oh, I'm going to get a good night's sleep tonight at the conference. <laughs> We're going to have some networking sessions every day. We're going to have workshops the last day of the conference. Then you can go check it out. Just go to topendevs.com/conferences and you can see when those are. And you can go and you can buy your ticket. And yeah, we usually have our regular hosts, and then I email all of our guests past. Uh, guests and see if they want to come. And then, you know, we invite people from the core team and things like that. So it should be really, really good. I don't have a big announcement for a big name speaker like I do for some of the other conferences yet, but stay tuned. I'll let y'all know if I get somebody that y'all want to hear from. But yeah, it's it's going to be super fun. So, so definitely do that. I'm also looking at pulling together some meetups. I've talked to a lot of people who are sort of stuck in a place where it's like, well, we used to do meetups here, but we don't anymore because COVID and then nobody kind of picked up the torch. So I'm going to do online meetups. I'm probably going to do two per month per, you know, framework or topic that we cover at Top End Devs. And that way, the folks in Europe, you don't have to be up in the middle of the night. The folks in, you know, the US or the Pacific, you can pick the other one, not be up in the middle of the night is kind of the deal. And so keep an eye out for that. That's kind of the next piece that I'm pulling together. I thought I was going to try and get them to start in August, but I'm having a little bit of trouble getting all the scheduling to line up. So it'll probably be in September. People seem to have less going on in September. So we'll probably have a couple in August, but most of them will be September going forward. And I'll try and get one together every month so that you all can keep up on what's going on in Angular. So yeah, this was kind of self-promotional, but I'm hoping that this helps folks out. The meetups, is, at least for now, are going to be free. The conferences, obviously, you're going to have to buy a ticket. You don't have to get a hotel room. You don't have to pay for a flight. You just buy the ticket. So anyway, those are my picks. Mana, do you have some picks for us? Yeah. I feel like the game you described sounds mm-hmm. a bit like that game yeah, Sushi. Sushi Go. Have you heard of that game? Sushi. Yeah. I don't know if I'm saying it right. I only played it mm-hmm. once, but it was kind of like similar to that where you pass the cards around and you have to pick and stuff. Anyway. Like- that one's pretty simple too. It's a fun one. Effectively, what it is is you have different sushi dishes or things like that you know teas stuff like that and yeah you you take a card place it face down and then everyone flips it over you pass your hand to the right or the left or whatever Mm -hmm. yeah 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 that was a good one we play we play board games here once a week on wednesdays before sounds like this yeah (laughs) i I thought you might say that (laughs) it's quite good and and we get to get order free foods um so that's a massive plus for me mm-hmm. <laughs> that's basically what i turn off because <laughs> i love food but anyway for my pick i am gonna talk about how it's a story i mentioned to uh, to steven earlier on in the week and he's like why didn't you talk about that i was like okay <laughs> um so basically i've lived in my current house for like maybe three years and my neighbor she she's like a massive fan of gardening she's just planting all sorts of exotic things and she always says oh i'll plant it really close to the fence so that it might come over onto your side." so i'm like okay cool and she's been planting passion fruit but it's never actually given any fruit Mm. the actual flower looks like something out of a movie or like in outer space it's it's just 
I can't believe that that's a flower. It's so, like, check it out online if you can. It's so beautiful. So weird. Um, but this year, somehow, <laughs> passion fruit grew out. So uh, the actual fruit, and I just can't believe it. Like we live in England and there's passion fruit growing in my garden. So it's definitely the highlight of my entire life. yeah all right good deal well if people want to reach out to either of you and connect on anything we've talked about how do they find you yeah so i'm I'm on twitter as uh scooper dev s-c-o-o-p-e-r dev (laughs) yeah i'm on twitter too that's just my name i'm not that creative with it just mana payroff also i'm on linkedin obviously I, i think i'm probably more active on linkedin so if anyone wants to to message me they can message me on there all right cool we'll go ahead and wrap it up here thanks for coming this is for fun. this segment yeah. is provided by cashfly the world's fastest cdn all right folks, deliver your content fast with cashfly out. visit c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y.com to learn more